Hey, playwrights! Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. Hey, playwrights. Welcome to Hey, Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Tori. <laughs> Mabel. Oh my gosh. We have been plagued with so many technical issues. You would think that we wouldn't be on season six and we would still be doing season one, but alas, we seem to, we seem to keep struggling, but here we are trucking along and we've made it to episode two of season six. And yes, um, we've already recorded several wonderful interviews for this season but um, you know, life is busy, man. Not gonna lie, I've I've come to terms with the fact that March and April for the next few years are going to be they're gonna suck. They're just gonna suck. Bottom line, straight up, it's gonna be brutal, brutal times. Well, let's reframe that. I don't think <laughs> I it's so it. much. Please, let's, <laughs> let's reframe it. Yeah, let's reframe it. It's uh, you're busy with school, you're doing some really important work and it's fulfilling to you from what I understand. I know it's stressful, um, but it is a lot of reading. It is a lot of writing. Um, and in addition to that, I know you and I know opportunities are going to come up and you are going to say yes. <laughs> and, and hopefully we'll still, you'll find time for the podcast too. So yes. Yeah. But but the podcast brings me such joy. So, you know, when I think about things that I could cut out of my life, the podcast is absolutely not one of them. So, so here we are. Oh, good. I, I'm glad to hear that. Okay, everybody, you heard that. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? Like, you know, we've talked about this, right? We'll be like tired and be like, Arr! and then we'll, we'll go into an interview and then just feel so lit up after having these I know, conversations. Just it really is invigorating. Like, I, I I do I spend I spend my day just floating after the the conversations that we get to have, and boy oh boy have we had some great conversations that are that are going to be landing over the course of this season season yeah, six. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know what? It just remember it reminded me of Tori. Remember when we would go teach in person? Because we're not teaching together right now. Um, but remember when we would go and it would be like Tuesday night and we would be exhausted and just be like, Grr. and then we would like, we would be in the room yes. and people would start showing and suddenly we're like, like someone flipped a switch and, and we're on and it's, and it's wonderful. And then we feel really great, um, for the rest of the evening. That's what it feels like. And you know right? what? That is what it feels like. And holy cow, thinking back to that time i think we were teaching together four nights a week <laughs> that's, that's why we had to do this podcast because we were going through withdrawal <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yes yes but um I, I, this does bring me so much joy and the conversation today was uh, a great one we did have some technical difficulties um but you know i i feel like we we pushed through and and managed to have a great conversation yes so. and our and our guest was very gracious so we appreciate their patience before we hear that conversation you've got yes. some packing to do i've got some packing to do because we are we are days away from leaving our loved ones to go on our, our separate journeys where are you going tori oh my goodness i am going 
back to Independence, Kansas. Uh, but I'm going without you, which is is sad. It's bittersweet, but it, but it's going to be a great time. I just got my itinerary. This is for the 40th William Inge Theater Festival. And what I found out is that every five years, they dedicate the festival to celebrating William Inge. Uh, yeah. So, so you know, like when we went last year, they, um, they honored Lynn Nottage. And then we also got to hear um, Gina Femia's new play because she had been their playwright in residence. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little different this year, but I'm really excited because the playwrights, I saw the list of the, the playwrights and the plays that I'm going to get to hear read. Um, and it's just, yeah, and getting to see the people that we saw last year. And yes, Mabel, I will bring you back a special treat. I was just <laughs> about to say that, Tori, please bring me back a cookie. Yeah, I'll bring you back a cookie. No, we just have to find time for me to get the oh, cookie yes. to you. But I will definitely, I will bring you back one of those cookies. Girl, you're going to have to tell me what cookie you want. They had some good ones, it, right? It was the so peanut we'll butter talk- one. Right? It was a it's the peanut butter one. But they had other ones, right? But I'll get you, if if you want the peanut butter, your wish is my command. Thank you, Tori. I appreciate yeah. you. Yes. You're welcome. So excited yes. for you. Yeah, thank you. Now, where are you going? You've got something exciting happening as well. Yes. So my play, Loteria Game On, is going to be um, is going to be performed at uh, Northwestern University's Playground Festival. So it's a festival dedicated to new plays in TYA and theater for young audiences. And I'm super excited. It's been a journey. I was thinking about it today, like how this all started. How this how this play began, Tori? <laughs> oh my god. It began with me getting really angry. And it is the most joyful play I have ever written, but it started with me being watching theater with my son and and seeing a need, a void, and and then many many human beings later. It really all I think about all of the human beings that um helped me along the way, that helped the script along the way, um, whether it's mentors, actors, directors. There's so many people were involved in shaping the script that I'm just, oh. I'm so, did I cut out? You cut out for just a second, but you came back. Okay. Um, I'm just so thankful for everybody, including you, because I believe that you were the very first person to read the script. Oh, yes, you were. Well, I mean, yes, we are. We are our first. Yes, but <laughs> pass, right? First pass. Before I sent it off to reimagine, you read it first. So, yes. Mm. Well, I'm honored. So, and it is such a great play, and just so much fun. And yeah, it has taken so many interesting twists, right? Yes, there's there are two <laughs> versions in the world. So so. I'm the the um, the script that's going to uh, be featured at the Playground Festival um, is you know it's happening next week, but then that Sunday, um, Loteria opens like a production opens at Theater Silco um, in Silverthorne, Colorado, and that's actually a different version of the script so there's two scripts in the world (laughs) one is with the mom one is with the dad um they're they're the same 
in many ways, but they're very different in many ways. So that's what's up. <laughs> it's crazy. I haven't even read. I have not read the dad one. You have not read the dad version. But it's really cool that you have two completely different plays. I think that's awesome. Yes, it's, it's a trip. It's for, you know, if anybody wants to do a play about Loteria, there, you have options. Do you want to go with a <laughs> a more bilingual version? Because that's the the one that um, Theater Silco is doing. Or do you want to go with the original version? The script that I had originally envisioned is the one that they're doing at Northwestern, which I love because I still did revisions on it. Like it still evolves mm -hmm. Because we had a, a table read, and then I got feedback, and like I worked on it more, and I I really love both versions. That's all we can hope for, right? Yes, that's it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it. Oh my gosh! Well, that is fantastic, and how fun that you get to see both. Yes, it's really happening. Really happening. Yes. Oh, that's so cool. So get angry and write those plays, people. <laughs> that's right. That's what Marsha Norman what said, Norman right? Does. Yep. Right from rage. Right from rage. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Um, so today's guest, you actually got to see yes. her play. Yes. Yes. So today's guest inspired me. Like I was going through an existential crisis with with playwriting. You know, like why do we do this? And then I read our guest play, Sharon. And I was just like, this is why, this is incredible, this is amazing. Um, and then I got the opportunity to see Exotic Deadly, the MSG play, um, which is playing right now with the Old Globe. And, and then like, I was like, as I was watching it, Tori, I was just thinking like, I have to text Tori, I have to text Tori. Um, because <laughs> the play is just ridiculous. Like, it's so good. And it's like having read Sharon and now having experienced, um, Exotic Deadly, like, Keiko Green is just, oh. Well, I remember reading Exotic Deadly and went, oh my yes. gosh, I can't wait to talk to her. Yes. And, and then I saw her as an actor because she does everything right yes so i saw her as an actor in god of carnage with backyard renaissance and all of the actors were amazing but she was in that play with her husband as well as fran and jessica who run backyard renaissance but yeah it was so it was just fabulous and she was so talented and then you saw you said you got to actually talk to I her did. after the play and no, or at before, the play it before. was it was a really odd moment because I look back and she's behind me and I thought what would Tor Tori would go would say hi so I just really quickly hi. said hi and then I was like oh <laughs> Tori wishes she could be here but she's in prison and then I was like I don't <laughs> know if she it's, it was a whole thing and I was like oh gosh this is an, a, a classic awkward moment um and, and <laughs> but anyway I said she was very gracious and and lovely and she's very tall um which she said that she was tall but you know you you forget people people can actually <laughs> I'm short and I forget that right, the rest of the right. world isn't short too um but yes but it was very lovely to to see her and and the play was ridiculous and it was the audience was like dying it was just so uh. such a great play I'm so excited for her I'm so excited to to get to know the rest of her work because I I super like Sharon is the new Brothers Paranormal for me. Like this year's Brothers Paranormal. So 
Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to seeing that as well. And I I want to take my kiddo to see Exotic Deadly. I think she would really enjoy it. I tried to explain it to her. Just, and then I said, you no. know, I think we just need to go. And that's another yeah. thing I wanted to text you. I'm like, Sadie would love this play. She would say, that's all. I was like, I got to text Tori and I got to tell Tori that Sadie would just love this play. It's totally her deal. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's our so guest I, today. right? That's our guest today is Keiko <laughs> Green. Keiko Green. Keiko Green is an award-winning playwright, screenwriter, performer, and proud core company member at ACT Theater in Seattle and Theater Moo's new play incubator, The Moo Tang Clan. Her plays have been developed and are produced by the O'Neill National Playwrights Conference, ACT Theater, the Kennedy Center National New Play Network, Seattle Repertory Theater, Signet Theater, Playwrights Realm, and Actors Express. She's also an actor. She's been on stages all around around the United States. Um, and she has her MFA in playwriting from UC San Diego, a BFA from NYU's Experimental Theater Wing, and she is just awesome. So here we go. Here is our conversation that was recorded in March with Keiko Green. Yay! Welcome, Keiko! Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. This is so exciting. You are, I, I feel like I've been seeing your name everywhere. Yes. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> very generous. <laughs> so, no, it's amazing. And your work is like, ah, I was telling Tori, um, so I'm, I've been having an existential crisis with theater lately. Like, the why? Mm, haven't we all? Yeah. Oh, I don't know, but have, have you? Because I just read Sharon, and I was telling Tori this morning that reading that play made me fall in love all over again. I was like, this is why this play. Oh, seriously, as I was reading it, you know when you're when you're like in the thing and you're experiencing it and you're like, you kind of just don't want it to end, you want it to keep going? That's how I felt <laughs> as I was reading that play. So so thank you. Oh, for... I, that makes me so happy. <laughs> yes, thank you. And I had the same experience reading Ex Exotic Deadly, the MSG play. So uh, yeah, and... You are going to have productions of both here in San Diego, so there'll be opportunities yeah. for us to go and see them, which is really exciting. I know, it's um, really my season of San Diego. <laughs> I, I think it's your season of everywhere. So I kept seeing your name pop up, and at the time, I, I didn't realize you were also an actor. I was seeing your name as a playwright, and I had submitted to this short contest uh, opportunity, the Lanford Wilson new play award. Right. And I was one of the winners in the short play category. And then I saw your name and went, Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then, you know, of course, um, in, in doing research, you were the winner, one of the winners of the O'Neill, um, for exotic deadly. I mean, just it, it, it's really exciting so so thank you thank you for joining us thank you so much for having me and are you are we gonna be at the Lanford Wilson thing at the same time or no oh my gosh I am so disappointed to say I'm going to miss the reading of your play because I think oh. it's right at the start of the festival right it is yes and I'm actually going to only be there for 48 hours because it's going to be during tech for exotic deadly so it's a real oh so you're yeah. gonna miss mine yes <laughs> so we're, gonna, we're not even all right uh, we won't it's mutual I suppose. <laughs> but i'm so I, I will be celebrating you from afar um 
But I would love to just launch in and talk about how, what your path was into theater. It, there, I feel like there's like two origin stories in a way because I started, I got in, you know, what got me into theater at all into, you know, what, what made that turn into playwriting, um, which are, are kind of two different things. Um, but I was, uh, um, I, I grew up when I, as a kid, I, I went to a private Japanese language school in Atlanta from preschool until fifth grade. And it was far from, my, my brothers went to just the public school down the street, but my mom is Japanese. She wanted a kid who spoke Japanese. So, and the school had just opened um, in Atlanta. So we, we would drive from suburban, you know, Marietta, Georgia. Um, and she, and it, before they created like any kind of bus system, because um, a really small school, like when my first grade class had five students, um, we, she would have to drive me there. And so we had just all this time in the car. We started to listen, you know, we listened to a lot of music. And then we started listening to a lot of, you know, Broadway cast recordings of, you know, like Phantom of the Opera and, you know, just all those, all those, um, just like the most famous musicals. Um, and so, um, and I, and we just would sing along, mostly I would just sing along full voice, you know, constantly. And I, you know, I have a really amazing mom who, um, was just like always supportive of everything. And so we really started to, um, love theater just from like the music side of it first um, and then, you know, it became such a treat when she would take me to, um, to shows. And I, I, she tells the story of before of how she took me when I was like eight or something to the Phantom of the Opera. I can't believe I'm talking about the Phantom of the Opera this much, but <laughs> it truly is part of the origin story. She took me to Phantom of the Opera and then, um, she looked over and I was just sobbing and she, I was, and, 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 and um, as an eight-year-old, she, she was like, "You were empathizing so much with the Phantom that like I, I was, it was really surprising, <laughs> you know." Um, and so, because of that, um, when I eventually moved to public school, my mom was a little bit worried about, um, you know, whether I would have the confidence to um, be able to, you know, make that huge transition. And so, I also started taking, you know, improv classes, acting classes, and um, it became a part of. Um, just being being able to learn how to take up space, I think, at a pretty young age, um, which is what what brought me into theater. But also, I just think that the even then that that feeling of uh, you know sitting in the audience watching a fan of the opera and having to empathize with someone who is experiencing something that is uh, that is so different from from your lived experience, um, even at, at a young age, like kids just get it. Um, there's something about that that just really um, has always struck me about what we do and you know they, they, people talk about empathy you know you have to grow that empathy muscle and I, I think it's like one of the things that you know if everyone grew that empathy muscle a little bit more things are probably a little bit easier um yeah and so I, I have like you know some crazy stories of of doing theater in in Georgia growing up too which we may or may not get into <laughs> but um yeah and then I I went to um NYU for undergrad and um, I was put into they, they have different studios there so I was put into the experimental theater wing which um, was correct <laughs> I, they, um, my audition material I, you know I was going to trying to be an actor but my audition material you know as a 17 18 year old was I was doing like 448 psychosis by Sarah Kane and just like these very <laughs> experimental kind of pieces um, and 
and ETW ended up being a place that really, really um, gets people to create their own work. A lot of a lot of um, learning how to to write for yourself, to write for others, to self-produce, kind of guerrilla theater. Um, and so that was kind of how I, I started to write. But it wasn't until I moved to Seattle, where I spent about um, seven years, that I that I really started to pursue that. And then how did you make it down here to San Diego? Or did, you, or did you come here for the commissions? And Oh, great question. Yeah, so I was in Seattle for, um, like I said, a few years. Um, and... And while I was there, I, you know, I started to pitch to these, this really tiny theater, Annex Theater. They have, you know, like a 50-seat house or something. Um, and I would pitch to them, but, but they also, like, didn't know who I was at first. So um, I had to uh, – so, so at first I started just producing my own work for, like, $3,000 budgets, you know. Um, the true Kickstarter, GoFund, you know, like, um, really trying to, you know, and at the, at the time, like $3,000 felt like, oh my gosh, how am I going to raise this much money? Um, and, and, and so I would, you know, self-produce, um, never really directed. I'm not, I'm not a director. I wish I had that brain, but I just don't. Um, and then I, uh, uh, uh but eventually I got, you know, a, a I got a show at, at Annex called Bunnies. Um, which was a musical about um, it was a it was it's basically an adaptation of the Bacchae, which was a, in a musical, <laughs> but instead of the Bacchae, it was a group of feral bunny rabbits. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> mm, yes, and then um, and then I I co-wrote another thing there, and and but it was actually bunnies that got me the um, a residency at the Seattle Rep. Um, they had a writer, they had a writer's group at the time that I think is like now defunct, unfortunately, but, um, the artistic director came to see bunnies and there was this one sequence where, um, <laughs> you know, uh, the Bacchae is very violent. And so I was like, what is that? What is the, the version of that in this musical about feral bunny rabbits? And so there was a ballad that, um, one of the bunnies would, the pregnant bunny rabbit would sing. And as she was singing there, her her babies would be born. And, and then, and then as stressed out rabbits are to do, she would eat them. And so it was just this insane, <laughs> insane, insane sequence. And the artistic director of the Seattle Rep was at the show and he was laughing hysterically. Um, and I got the invite to, um, to join them in the writer's group. And that was, that was really the first transition into being like, Oh, um, people are into this weird thing I'm doing. And that, that, how cool, you know, um, and, and grad school had never really struck me as a possibility. Um, yeah, I, I didn't actually know that there were such thing as fully funded programs. I wish someone had told me earlier, to be honest, but, um, I learned about that, uh, you know, a few years after that. So I applied to UC San Diego, um, and it was the top of my list for various reasons. And, um, I was the only playwright accepted that year. So I was a class of one. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a really, really small program. Um, and, and yeah, so that took me down uh, fall of 2019. And I was, while I was in grad school, I was, I basically had a quarter, maybe two quarters of school before uh, the pandemic hit. So most of my time there was in the pandemic, but I, I feel so lucky that I had school during that time. Yeah. 
So, so yeah, that's what brought me down to San Diego. And, and um, despite the pandemic, I somehow was able to build some real connections down here with some really amazing artists. So, wow. I, <laughs> I'm just thinking of the trajectory of all that. And your first play was a musical. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The, the first Did thing that was produced by oh. anyone else was a musical, mm -hmm. yeah. But there were a couple weird oh, okay. things in there where I, you know, I, I, I wrote this play called Life Cycle, which was about the offices of reincarnation. You know, it's a very silly little, um, you know, it, 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 but also it was looking back on it, I'm like, oh, maybe I should revisit that. There, there's some cool stuff in there. <laughs> Interesting. Um, what inspires so, you? I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about about the your your ideas. Like, what? I guess it's kind of a weird question, right? And you're probably inspired by different things. But so, I guess what what inspire what's inspiring you right now? Um, oh, great question. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's an interesting time, I think, for um, writers of color, especially because for so long, um, it, it felt like we wanted the representation um in a really specific way we wanted to talk about race like our racial identity because it felt so um it, you know it just felt kind of non-existent on the stages and so so you know there there's definitely at first i think a lot more um uh when it came to writing for theaters you know i was diving into you know what does it mean to be an asian american what does it mean to be biracial all of those kinds of things um but but since then, um, it, it almost feels like a lot of us have have been like, well, what's the other part of identity now? Not, not you know, like it almost feels um, like the organizations really want us to write about only our like racial heritage at this point. And so, one of the things that's really exciting about Sharon is, you know, it's not about race at all. It's um, and so I was, I kind of couldn't believe that. A, theater would want to produce produce it because I'm like it's not filling that it's not checking that box for them um so I'm I'm really excited about that but I but I, I think that um things that inspire me right now so so kind of to answer your question you know I used to take a lot of like wanting to explore my mom's side of the family um I'm biracial and my dad is white and now I'm kind of like going into his side I have a um I got a, uh, a a commission recently from um, MTC and the Sloan Foundation, um, so I'm gonna be able to write about um, nuclear power. <laughs> I'm gonna write a play about nuclear power. Let's see how that goes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think right now I, the the biggest thing is I I just like to write about um, kind of unlikely relationships, you know, and 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 really kind of. If I can find two people that should not be in a play together and um, and explore what would happen if they were, you know, I think that's something that really inspires me right now. Oh, I love that. When I read Exotic Deadly, and, and that was a commission from the Globe, right? And actually, um, I, I uh, Exotic Deadly was wrote independently. Um, but they, the Globe is producing it, and they did because of Exotic Deadly um, commission me to write something else. So, so they um, Exotic Deadly has has become kind of the. Uh, it, it also is the play that got me into TV writing and screenwriting. You know, I have samples for those things, but but it's Exotic Deadly actually that's getting me most of that work, <laughs> which has been really wow. surprising. Yeah. Um, but yes, yes. I, but it is going on at the, we're in rehearsals right now at the Old Globe. We just started on Tuesday. So. 
oh, how exciting. Uh, when, I, when I read the play, what I wanted to say is that I, it felt joyful. And, and I just, I felt like um, that I, I was experiencing just this cacophony. Like it was so much happening, you know, I felt like I was jumping into uh, different worlds. Um, just so much fun. I, and yet, I learned something. So what I really appreciated about the play is that it does have um, this educational part of it, but I didn't feel like I was, I felt like I got to be entertained as a, as a part of that experience. And I really appreciated that. I felt like you, you did that so well. And I really cared about the characters and, and just enjoyed it so much. So I'm excited to see how it translates on stage and, and how exciting that you're in rehearsals right now for it. While you are also doing a four-person play, which is whew, so so so, you know, at the end of it, I it's God of Carnage, and you're doing it with Backyard Renaissance, and um, with your husband, your real life husband. Which I thought, oh, how cool right. is that? But it is so high energy, and it just it's ninety minutes of just full force. Like I was tired walking out. Mostly because I laughed so hard. <laughs> like, I was just laughing the whole time. So, uh, I, 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 my, my hat is off to you with all of the different things that you're doing and juggling all of that. Uh, oh, so thank I you so much. To, <laughs> I was starting to segue into your acting because, holy cow, you do it all. You know, and it's, and it's funny. I, yeah, I definitely started as an actor and Seattle was kind of, you know, it's where I got my equity card. It's, um... Uh, and only through, you know, being able to, um, I, I, honestly, a lot of my, the work that I was writing at first was probably like in the dressing rooms when I wasn't needed during tech, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, and, and, and being able to sit in on, um, as an actor, being able to be in a new play processes, at the Seattle rep, at ACT, um, I spoke, there's actually quite a few programs up in Seattle and, um, you know, it's, it's funny because as playwrights, you right now I'm actually like if if it's um, possible and um, there's a you know a, an emerging playwright that wants to sit on on a workshop or something that I'm doing I'm I'm like I always try to bring in someone to come in and, and sit in on a on a workshop because it's so rare to get to do that as a writer you know we um, I have no idea what my friends' workshops look like and it's something I, I was like as an actor. Um, it's amazing because you get to sit in and actually see how each play. I remember sitting in on uh, Lauren. I actually I read stage directions in an early workshop of Lauren's Cambodian rock band. You know, and it's like it's so funny to. Um, and, and Lauren, I, I, she's she's a huge um, inspiration for me and just like an incredible mentor. Even though we're probably about the same age, um, but she, <laughs> but she's. Uh, yeah, she's one of the reasons I went to UCSD. Um, but I just remember, you know, sitting in and and there was this one day where I was like, oh, wow, this is this is Lauren Yee. Okay. I'm like in the room with her. How cool. Because um, at, that, at that point, I had seen King of the Yees already before. But um, and then she brought in the script and I was like, oh, this is like really in development, you know, um, this Cambodian rock band. I, I wonder if this will be the title, you know. <laughs> Um, or this is just a working title, I don't know. Um, and then 
we had two days, you know, we had a day off and then the day coming back, she came in with like 40 new pages or something like that. And I was like, whoa, I had no idea that this was even possible. So it, it's really the coolest part of being a, doing both is as an actor, getting to sit in on other playwrights um, and on their work and, um, and just seeing how they use that time. Because sometimes, it, you know, we can talk all we want to each other, but um getting that first-hand experience of how a different playwright um, uses the actors, whether they ask them questions, whether they just want to work through it with them. I think it really helped me figure out how I like to work in my workshops, um, which, you know, we have way more workshops than we do of productions usually. So, <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that. How, what is your process? What is your workshopping process? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I, um, you know, dramaturgs are something that I've for a long time I um I I had I was kind of resistant towards <laughs> um and now I realize that um I actually I love dramaturgs but I but I it's really important to me um to have a certain type of person that's in the you know that a certain type of dramaturgical brain um you know I'm a person that doesn't really respond to super academic or super in, intellectual conversation about the play. I just kind of start to, uh, it, 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 it's, it, for me, it's a lot easier as it, if we're talking like we're having a couple of beers or something, or maybe we are having a couple of beers talking about the play. Um, and so something about the, you know, I, I never want my work to be, you know, I, I want, my parents aren't theater people and I like, and I want them to be able to come see it and understand it and be entertained by it um, and not to feel stupid, you know? Um, and so for me, when we, when, when I work with people that are kind of overly intellectual, it becomes a little difficult um, because I'm, I want to get to the meat and bones of, of the why and, you know, what's motivating and what these characters and, and the emotionality. Um, so now I know that um, for me, what's important in a dramaturg and often in a director is, is, is just, people that can we we can kind of um really talk about things in really basic terms we can poke holes um and and ultimately um i also have now when i'm working with directors you know our first meeting there's a lot of matchmaking that goes goes on in the theater as you know you know where their organizations are trying to introduce you to new directors and um you know it almost it seems like it goes without saying but actually does need to be said i realize now is um in those first meetings with directors i also say just so you know for me the process is just important as the product and it's really important to me that we have a really good time that's <laughs> a fun rehearsal room i just um i'm just not interested in the the really hierarchical kind of um rooms where people yeah where, where there's just like a lot of power grabs and, and luckily i don't really those kinds of directors i think aren't really um, uh, drawn to my work. So that works out perfectly fine. Um, and then I think that most of the time in the workshops, you know, um, it depends on the amount of time that's given, but I, I think for the most part, what, what's the most helpful to me is if it's early on in development, you know, um, we read, we talk about it, think of what, you know, see what questions are coming up for people. But for the most part, I, I find it most uh, helpful when a director and an actor can behave, can pretend like it's Shakespeare, like it's, it's working as written and, um, 
And so if we were to be working on this as a production, what are the questions that would gradually, you know, it would like really naturally come up, um, assuming that the text is working. And then by the end of the day, you know, the director, we have these com- conversations of, hey, we try we try this like eight different ways. And it's, I feel like this actually might be a text thing because I, I think the, the problem that often comes up from workshops is they try it one way. There's a huge question. You change it in the moment when really it's, it just needed a little bit more finessing or finding out, um, how, you know, how to, how to write it so that, um, for, for future, if you're not there, people can kind of pick up on what the intention was. Mm. But, um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think that the, the, the big, um, the, the trap we kind of get into as playwrights sometimes is to just immediately fix something because it's not working one time, you know? <laughs> oh, that's so true. Uh, yeah. Do, do you ever, when you know there's going to be a workshop that has a talk back, do you ever think in terms of what is going to work for you? Like what questions you have that you would like to pose? Right. And you mean a talk back with the audience, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm very, <laughs> yeah, those are so hit or miss, um, as you know. <laughs> um, yes, I think that often I'll tell the people that I'm with, that I, I'm not, you know, because a lot of times they're, I used to be the kind of person that would take every single note to heart. Um, and and you come, eventually you come to a place where, um, you know, it's okay that one audience member was angered by a moment. That's great, actually. Or it's okay if 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 one person didn't follow something, if everybody else did. So you kind of have to, um, you know, each 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 little note, each little um, piece of commentary can. It's okay. I think it's like I like to actually be in dialogue a little bit more in those moments of not to shame that person by any means, but if like they didn't understand to kind of be like, Oh, can I see you share a hand? um, Can everybody raise their hand if they also were confused by that moment? I I think like actually polling can be helpful. So you can make sure you're not just um, taking a piece of feedback that, that wasn't an issue. Um, I I do come at it with questions. I think um, I also, you know, we're in this kind of strange place where so often the people in the talk box, um, you're kind of older they come from you know it's usually you know i I think that like often they are we have older older white audience members and all but we're also in a place where we're theater we're trying to bring in younger folks so it's kind of like really trying to be conscientious of um you know is this feedback that's only going to be helpful for this group of people and actually take away from an experience of, for example, like a mostly AAPI audience or something, or, or is it something that will actually help this group of people join this group of people um, so that we can all have a great time together? I think that's the ultimate goal is to just make sure that um, you're not catering to one group at the expense of another, you know, I don't know if that answered your question. I just, (laughs) Oh yeah. absolutely. (laughs) And you know, one thing I, I feel like, exotic deadly did really well is it has a youthful energy and uh i saw a a video of you talking about the o'neill experience which was so great because you do bring in um culture and 
things that I think every generation can relate to. So, and then, you know, it gets married together so that I feel like anybody coming to this play is going to, oh, you know, learn something, but also um, something's going to resonate. Oh, yeah, I remember hearing about MSG, right? <laughs> or whatever. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Exotic uh, Deadly. Oh, sorry. Sorry, you go ahead. No, 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 go. No, I was going to say, Exotic Deadly is such a, um, it, it's it's interesting. The, the play was written pretty much during the pandemic. Um, I, I started writing it in early 2020. And, um, you know, we had, my mother-in-law passed away um, right at the beginning of the pandemic, pandemic um, in early March of 2020. And we were, my husband and I, were, we had gotten a dog and we were living in her house as we were setting it up to, you know, um, selling furniture and boxing up things and also just like in a deep period of mourning also mourning like all of our artistic projects that were canceled you know it was just like such a sad sad time um and i just needed a project that would make me laugh you know <laughs> and so exotic deadly um i had written i think a scene or two and then when i you know luckily i was in school so there were still people holding me accountable so i still had deadlines um and i'm so thankful for that um, and I started to write Exotic Deadly, really just trying to make myself laugh as I was writing it. If I could make myself laugh out loud, then I would feel like I, I was really doing something right. <laughs> and um, and it was also kind of the first time where, we, because the future of the theater was so uncertain, you know, we I, I feel like a lot of people, myself included, stopped writing what we thought theaters wanted. Um, we just started writing what made us feel good or something that we needed to get off our chest or something. Um, which is, which is so funny now to be, to, to see that that's actually the play, you know, the work that the organizations are responding to so much more is, is when we stop trying to cater to them, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, exotic deadly is wild and it is chaotic and it um, is educational and, you know, this coming of age story about this teenage girl who's Japanese American and um, has extreme shame for her for her culture and her family at first. Um, but it's also it, it does end up, you know, the more you kind of lean into a specific identity, the more it does become universal where everyone, you know, it's people are there for all, it's set in 1999, which is apparently considered a period piece now. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and, um, and, you know, it, I was actually kind of amazed by the responses that I had from people who are, you know, not Asian, obviously the Asian American um, community is the theater community is so excited. Um, but also, you know, it's been really cool to hear about people who, come from other cultures who have immigrant parents who are like, yes, I was also bullied for the smell of my food. <laughs> and also everybody who is just like, this really takes me back to being a 14 year old and just wanting to disappear. <laughs> you know? um, it ends up being just uh, a super universal story, I think. Um, and so I, but, but I didn't quite know until we had our, our first giant reading um, at the Old Globe about a little over a year ago, part of the Powers New Voices Festival. That was the first time we had an in-person reading. Everything until then had always been over Zoom, you know. Um, and the uh, the response was so great that we, um, yeah, we got we we started talking about a future production pretty soon after that, um, which was magical. 
you know. <laughs> and it happened that fast. Yeah. So I mean, cool. I mean, truly, though, <laughs> there were people were coming up to me after the reading saying, oh, you know, that we loved it. We laughed or we, you know, whatever responses. And I said, great, go tell Barry, go tell the artistic director, <laughs> write an email. You know, yeah, that's not, awesome. I'm not, I'm not so cool that I won't just be like, yeah, send them an email. <laughs> I feel like you, you kind of have to do that, right? As an artist, you really do have to advocate and be, be your, your own biggest, your, your biggest fan <laughs> of yourself. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's, 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 you know, of course, part of that is like, yeah, I, of course I would love to do a production there, but it's also, you know, for them, um, for the people that are programming, you know, it, the most important thing for them, especially on a piece that feels a little risky is to know that people are connecting to the material. Um, so, you know, there's, it, it's not even just, uh, you know, for myself, it's like, I think it's, it then shows them they can take more risks in the future. Even with the Powers New Voices Festival, they had a great time doing this wild wacky comedy um that ha that does have a lot of heart to it i think but um you know next time they're programming that remember remember that the audience has really responded to it remember that they um you know can audiences have the capability of connecting to characters that you don't necessarily think they will trust absolutely trusting your audience right <laughs> oh if we if we only got more of that from from artistic directors yeah um, okay. Yeah. So let's talk about Sharon. Where did Sharon come from? <laughs> Where is she? Yes. Okay. So Sharon, oh my gosh, that I'm so glad that you read it. It's um it's a weird it's a weirdo play. Um yeah, Sharon is uh you know, uh I I first started writing it, um I think trying to you know, I, I often approach work lately as okay, what's my coming of age adventure play what's my this and this play what's my and this and for me Sharon was okay what's my version of a transactional relationship um and so Sharon we start off you know I wrote the first three scenelets first um really kind of chronologically and uh yeah and I it, you know it's like how can I in three scenes um tell an entire story and also set up for a wild power struggle in a transactional relationship. So we meet um, Jake and um, Sharon, quote Sharon, up in the, in our, right from right at the beginning. And I think at first we're like, oh, who is this woman? I guess that's his mom, but their relationship seems kind of strange. And by the end of these three little scenelets, you realize that um, Jake is the, is the new landlord of this um, building and that this woman who we think is his mother is actually a woman who is taking on the persona of his mother um, in this uh, transaction of rent to, for lower, lower rent. Um, and, and, you know, part of that story was, uh, you know, how can I kind of, like keep myself on my toes as I'm writing? Um, I wanted, I knew, I knew at the end of that, we seem to have a story where, this young man has a kind of dangerous amount of power over this older woman. 
And then, so then the challenge becomes, okay, so how do we get to a place where she starts to have power over him? What does that look like? Um, what kind of engines do we have to have to put into place where suddenly they're both in danger? Um, and, you know, and, and, and what effect does that have on it? And I think through the, the uh, writing it, part of the journey was, um, you know, Jake, Jake starts off in a place where we're a little scared of him. And then we, I, I'm like, I want to get to a place where we're worried for him. And then once we're so worried for him, I want to see that danger again. And even more this time. And then let's go into the final scene of this play, which is like a 40 minute dinner scene. <laughs> let's go into this final scene, not really knowing where where everyone stands um and then just throw curveball after curveball um and so the final scene of the play is really just a little I, I, it, we, we call this play a thriller farce oh. right now because <laughs> we don't really know what genre to call it <laughs> but it truly is um i think we're laughing hysterically when we did the workshop of it and also extremely creeped out um so <laughs> i am i am so curious what the audience response is going to be and i'm actually going to be performing in that one too i'm going to be playing yes. tina oh you're going to um, be tina oh wow fun. <laughs> i'm playing tina yes oh my god yeah I... so that's interesting um now rob luffy directed you in god of carnage right and now yes. he's going to direct you in your play as signet is that right that's right. And it's my first time doing, being in one of my plays before. So it'll be, uh, um, or yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think I worded that weird, but yes, this might be my first time being in one of my plays. So, um, I'm, I'm a little nervous, but, um, I, I trust Robbie. He's a great, um, you, you know, Robbie, um, but he's a great, uh, artistic friend, personal friend. Um, yeah, we met doing, uh, the great leap here, it was actually Signet's last show before the pandemic was The Great Leap. Um, so we met doing that and we have so many, you know, friends in common. And and one thing that I'll say about him, um, just because we just, yeah, we just worked on God of Carnage together is that it's kind of, you know, it's talking about finding collaborators that are on the same page as you about process versus product. He's just, you know, one of those guys that, um, he'll give a good note. Like a lot of directors don't give positive notes. They only give negative, but there's something so amazing about having a director that is like not afraid of being like, this moment's working. It's going great. Next, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> it just, it just kind of um, brings home that this we're, we're here to make, we're, we're here to do, to play make pretend and um, put on costumes and, um, and, and play dress up and, and, and there's, it should be fun with that. And, and um, there's no point in just kind of taking ourselves way too seriously. That's, that's something I just really love about working with him. So as an actor and as a director, uh, as a, uh, yeah, as a writer, so. That uh, is. Um, oh my gosh. I feel like we need to have a follow-up conversation after you. <laughs> I know. So that we can ask <laughs> I know, cause what it, it was like performing. And I was like, I, I retract everything. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you if you could talk about your writing process, because you said something really interesting about what inspires you to finish a play. Mm. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. My process. So I, I think that I do 
um, I don't always write completely chronologically, but I do usually write a first scene first. I, yeah, I don't always write chronologically, but I do start with a first scene usually. Sometimes that first scene isn't the first scene, but I but I try to write a first scene. Uh, I have an idea of it, and I usually I have some some kind of ending to write towards. I don't like to just kind of write and not really know where I'm going at all. Though some plays, you know, that that final moment shifts. Even if it's just an image, um, I know that I'm writing towards. But like Sharon, for example, is one where I think I had an ending in mind when I was writing, and then the characters surprised me. You know, um, <laughs> but um, yeah. And so I, I, uh, I think that it's important sometimes. Even, and I do like to kind of write in order, but sometimes that means, um, you know, I one of those scenes will just say it's just a paragraph that says oh, and then they will get in a fight here. It, it will be brutal. And then they go to the next. Sometimes that's all I need to keep going. I th and I think this is actually, again, it's from like sitting in on other writers. I, I remember um, sitting in on, uh, as an actor on, on a new play workshop process and seeing that some people would just, it's okay to just write a sentence that says, you know, to be written later, they will have a big fight. <laughs> and that's okay. And then you can just move on. And, and that, all you need is that stepping stone. Um, and later you can, that way, weirdly, it's, it's kind of freeing because then you can bring in three different versions of that scene <laughs> and just kind of see what sticks or maybe it's an amalgamation of all of them. Um, but I do always like to have something that I'm writing towards. I, I, and I, I, f I feel that, that that's even more important. I think when you go into screenwriting or TV writing, um, to, to outline, um, you know, to really know what you're writing before you start to to put your hands on the keyboard. But for me, I often, um, I, I'm a fast writer, but I also am a kind of, uh, I like to, this sounds kind of strange, but it's almost like I, I like to w walk around, play with my dog, shower, you know, all of those things, Think you know, let all the ideas kind of marinate. Sometimes I don't write everything down immediately. It's kind of like the thing that sticks is the thing that, you know, if you remember it, it's good enough to eventually. And then it's like that one, there, there comes a point where I'm just kind of like brimming with ideas and what I want the scene to be. And I can like barely contain it anymore. And that's when I like to sit down and then it just kind of comes flooding out. Um, for me, that that's the process that works. And, and it, I, I was recently listening to Lin-Manuel Miranda he was, I think he was on like the Always Sunny in Philadelphia podcast or something. <laughs> and he was talking about writing um, the song, uh, uh, um, the the King George songs for um, Hamilton. And he said that he wrote the, the that first version on his honeymoon, never recorded anything, never wrote anything down, but he just kind of, as he was you know, on his honeymoon, the song would just kind of be working itself out in his brain. And so when he got back from the honeymoon, whatever stuck, you know, it meant it was an earworm. And he was like, that's exactly, it's a, so that's actually what ended up in the show. And, and I, um, yeah, I feel really similar to, similarly to that. Like, sometimes I think that writing something down too soon can almost, um, I don't know, get, put you on a pathway that you might not want to be on yet maybe it's okay to just kind of like let it marinate and for you to work things out in your brain before sitting down and committing to it. But that's not true for everybody. So, yeah. Well, you had said something else too, that I, I really appreciate it because sometimes finishing 
can be uh, a challenge for people, right? They have this great idea, they start writing, and then there's a, a an, thousands of unfinished projects. Well, okay, that's a lot, but there's lots of right. unfinished <laughs> projects. So what do you do to uh, manifest? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um... You know, I don't overthink it. I do always have an image or something that I that I that I know I I want, even if it changes. Um, so yeah, to manifest the end. Um, yeah, interesting. I, I guess it depends on depends on the project. I'm trying to think of. Um, uh, you know, I'm not, and I'm not a person that obsesses over periods and commas and and things like that. So I so I do think that there's a way. Uh, in which it, um, I, I, you know, I, I'm not an overthinker in that way. I just let it kind of sit and then get the feedback later. Um, but I, I feel like I'm a little bit rambling. Wait, what, what are we, what are you specifically talking no, about? <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking in terms of when you, to stay motivated, to end it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, staying motivated. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, there was this trick that one of my, um, playwright friends, Vivian Barnes, J Vivian J.O. Barnes, um, would, um, would say was just kind of, at a certain point you can also, um, you know, have half a play or three quarters of the play. And, um, and if you have some really great artist friends, I think it's okay to say, what are your expectations of this play? Um, sometimes they'll, most of the time they'll kind of tell you, you know, the logical conclusion. And, and oftentimes that means like, okay, how can I subvert that? How can I do mm -hmm. something that's not just giving them exactly what their expectations are? Sometimes people will bring up things um, that you're like, oh, there's, you're setting something up in the first scene and I'm waiting for that to pay off. And you've kind of as a writer forgotten about that. And it's true, you have set something up and, and um, kind of subconsciously knowing I think that something in your brain was like this will be a great way to kind of um, finish the play later and so, so sometimes that kind of feedback is amazing to be reminded of like what you were setting out to do when you first started when you first sat down um so even though some I think it's like half cheating <laughs> half just a helpful exercise to ask what people's expectations are that that's often uh, um you know I, I think that that's great. But I, I think, you know, one of the things is um, just to, I, I think there's no reason to be precious about sharing your incomplete drafts or your first drafts um, with people that you're close to, you know, no one, if you tell someone this is an incomplete draft, no one's going to be like, wow, this, you know, no one's going to be judging you on it. I hopefully, you know, if you have the right community, I think like a, a great, you know, a great practice for us playwrights is to have friends who are, you know, in the industry who we feel safe around, you know, build that community for yourself so that you, you feel free to, um, to share that work and to get in, because like the hope is once you share something like that, it gets you riled up, you get passionate, you're like excited to sit back down and work on it. Um, and, and for me, I, you know, I, I use my playwright friends. I use my husband. Sometimes I just wander into his office. I, <laughs> you know, and like, 
can I'm stuck. Can I just yell at, can I just talk, talk at you for a little bit, you know? And I'm like, is this and this and this. And, and sometimes he'll pitch things back to me, but sometimes I'm just like, no, but, but what you're missing is because what I want it to be is, and by me saying what I want it to be is this, it kind of works itself out. And then I excuse myself and go, I can go back to my, my little hole, you know, and finish the play. <laughs> oh, I love what you're saying though, about just sharing it, not holding it that close to your chest so that you can get that feedback, have the readings with your friends. That's great. And yeah. wow, having uh, just a super talented husband, holy cow, last night, uh, my <laughs> uh, my husband was laughing so hard he was in tears at all of you. So. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. I know. He's so funny um, in this yeah. play. He's going to be in Sharon as well. He's going to be playing oh. Greg. Um, really so, so, oh yeah, my so. <laughs> gosh how fun to get to work together like that constantly yeah he and, was talking about I'm not I'm not sure I as a like wife allow like want this to happen but he was talking about potentially shaving <laughs> shaving a bald spot onto the top of his head um and then putting wearing a toupee later um just, <laughs> like why would someone want that for themselves Ugh, the commitment is yeah, that that I I have not read the play yet, but that that is commitment. And Mabel, <laughs> you were starting to share your why this play um, filled you up so much. Yeah, I I I don't know that I have the words yet, but I will say that I have the excitement. I have the excitement because um, so last year we were obsessed with the Brothers Paranormal. Um, by Prince Gomovilas. I don't know if, if you're familiar with that play. If not, we were obsessed with it. Obsessed. And I think now I'm obsessed with Sharon. Like, this is going to be the thing that I that's going to be holding me for the next few months, like the anticipation of getting to see it. That's how excited I am about this play. I just can't. Oh, thank you so much. Prince Gomovilas is um, my first ever t actual TV job was consulting on a show that he was creating with... Um, with another writer really? uh, and the, yeah and he was um he was just like one of the kindest um the 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 two guys they were the two he he, he was show running and uh he was a co-showrunner co-creator with this um other guy matt ackles um and they were just the best i just love prince he's he's such a great guy so i'm so glad you got to hang out with him too um thank you and i love brothers paranormal so you know to be considered up there with that is oh, i feel great so good so good Re yes okay asking for a friend so we noticed that food can be a big part of your writing smells and taste and food in general yeah. right so this is inspired by that and it's a two-part if you could eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? And the second part of the question is, what would your final meal before that be? Oh, that's a great question. Okay. So I know um, I'm, I belong in Southern California because the thing that I would eat every like every every meal would be tacos i think tacos are just there's not there's literally nothing better um i could eat tacos every single day um but my last meal before that would probably be something like super super traditional japanese that reminds me of my mom you know something it would probably be like a like a a simple japanese breakfast 
I say simple Japanese breakfast, but it's actually, Japanese breakfasts are quite elaborate. It's like miso soup with rice and like a perfectly salted grilled salmon on it with like a side of like boiled spinach and pump, stewed pumpkin. Um, I, I think it would, it would be um, like a really traditional Japanese breakfast. And then tacos all day, every day. <laughs> Do you have a favorite taco? Yeah, you know, um, in San Diego, Mike's Taco Club at Ocean Beach has an amazing octopus taco, which is um, a big fave for me. Oh, I've never been there. That's okay. really good. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Field trip. Yeah, awesome. field trip. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you have a writing prompt for our listeners? Yes. Okay. So, um, Location is something that I'm I've always been really interested in, and I am I'm actually quite inspired by. Um, you know, what is the it, it what what is the setting for your play? And sometimes the setting is like like in Exotic Deadly. Exotic Deadly is a a, a journey play, so we go from place to place to place, um, and 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 that's one kind of thing. But often the opening image is. Um, you know, not only giving Sharon, for example, my play Gorgeous and this other play that I'm I'm starting to work on right now. It's, you know, really about setting up that first first image and um and how the characters interact with it. So my my prompt is, okay, if you have any idea of what your play is about and you have any idea of what your setting is, um write a full like 10 minutes of just describing your location in all detail. Maybe this won't all end up in your stage directions, but really, really go into detail. I think a great um, play, play to look at for this reason is um, Appropriate by Brandon Jacob Jenkins. Really see how other, sometimes other playwrights will spend a, an enormous amount of time to set up a location that is going to act as a character in your play. Now, after describing the, play, the location, in great detail, thinking about all of the intricate things that are in there. Now insert a character that does not belong there. Now have that character before any dialogue starts interact with something in that location. What do they do? What does it sound like? What does it look like? And then bring a second character in, but it's like really giving that, giving like a th giving yourself like three pages <laughs> to explore what does it look like before anyone speaks with with just a really really vivid idea of what this place is and a person that doesn't belong there. Oh. I think for me that that's that sometimes is really helpful. Yeah, I I love really digging into those details. Ten just. 10 minutes of just writing about the setting. I think that's a great exercise. I think that's a great exercise. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember, um, there was a, there was one playwright who also talked about, um, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember who it was. It's like a, you know, some, a big shot playwright, but she talking about, um, like drawing a map of your location. Sometimes that that's a really helpful exercise of opening your notebook and like, what is the, what is it? What's, what surrounds your, your main your main location um what where's the store where's the river is there a river what is the what's the climate like um 
I think that like it's it's also like a great reminder later on when you're working when you get stuck of like what is so unique about this place that um can kind of bring you back in if you remember what you wrote about what it smells like and what it sounds like I think that can kind of just zero you back into you know what the location has to offer yeah absolutely and just like you said, like you're you're going to be accessing all of those senses when you think of setting, because it's going right. to be what are you hearing, what you know, what 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 is around you, what are you seeing? That's oh, that's great. And I, but the detail about putting a character in there that you would not expect to be there—that's right. money. That's yeah. It's probably me growing up as a super tall Asian gal in Georgia. <laughs> where I'm like, I didn't belong there. So let's write plays about people that don't belong where they are. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This has just been so wonderful. And and I we know how busy you are. So we really appreciate taking the time today to talk to us. Oh, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Can you um, please tell us where people can find you if you want to be found? And also anything that you want to plug because you do have so many things coming up um, over the next couple of months. So please just plug away. Oh, amazing. Yes. Um, you can find me. On, I'm no longer on Twitter. Um, like a, a lot of people. I am on Instagram. I think it's Keiko the Green. I think that's my current handle, which I think hopefully will stick. I also have a website, KeikoGreen.com that connects to my um, new play exchange. And I have all my plays for the most part available on new play exchange. So um, feel free to read. And um yeah. Oh, plugs. Yes. Okay. So, um, I'm sure God of Carnage will have closed by the time that we only have a couple of weekends left. Exotic Deadly opens April 13th. I'll have some previews before then. April 14th is going to be an AAPI night. Um, so if you identify as Asian American Pacific Islander, that would be an awesome time to come. Um, and it runs until May, uh, seventh i think may 7th um with a possible extension so tell all your friends get people to come out to see exotic deadly i think it's like a it's it's um compared to my other plays it's really um pretty family friendly um mm -hmm. it's um it, it's it's a really great time and, and it's i think a great play for people who you might not usually bring to the theater it's it's raucous it's chaotic it's fast um and then Hometown Boy will be running in um, Seattle starting May 5th, and that'll be running for three weeks. And then um, Sharon will be back in San Diego at Signet Theater, um, and that's, that's running pretty much the month of June, um, so you can check out the Signet website. Um, but I also, you know, have, you know, I think we'll have like a workshop in new york and in, in early may of hell's canyon that i think will have a public reading so check out my instagram and you can find out about all those cool things there wonderful oh my gosh i can't wait uh to come and check out the the local happenings but also mabel and i do like to travel so who knows <laughs> maybe yeah. we'll get to make it to something out of state as well um, but thank you again and we we look forward to seeing everything that you're doing, including all of your acting gigs, because, Thank you. yeah, I mean, how exciting.
Ah, oh, Tori. Oh, that was so much fun. So much fun. <laughs> she is just a blast. Oh my gosh. She's a blast. And and reading her plays, I agree with you. So much joy. I I'm looking forward to seeing not only Sharon, but exotic deadly that's going to be at the globe oh my gosh from that tori you're gonna go pick up your kiddo from the airport i'm going to rehearse for the things that we've got coming up this week and uh and i'm gonna try to work on a play inspired by sharon i'm gonna try to work on a play wonderful what are you doing are you doing anything no i mean uh after the phone call with my kiddo, I'm really just, I'm a little concerned about her foot. Mm. So I think, <laughs> what am I doing? I'm preparing for her to come home. Uh, we cleared out our, we're cleaning out our garage. We're having some work done at the house. You know, the never ending work done at the house. You know how it is. Mm. And when you have a, when you become a homeowner, homeowner it just seems like there is a never ending cycle of projects <laughs> and how yeah so that's where that's where we're at here yeah well have fun with that tori <laughs> i will i keep getting these little notices popping up that my internet is struggling i know me too that's it says something like your network oh, your weird. network is okay. struggling I'm like your network is struggling i just imagine it like ah, <laughs> I can't. I'm hanging on. <sighs> okay. All right. Well, I will. Uh, I'll see you soon. Yeah. And bye, playwrights. Bye, playwrights. Hey, playwright is produced by Tori Emmabel. The voice you hear at the top of the show is Freddie Padilla at BK Spidey on Instagram. If you like what you heard, rate, like, subscribe, tell your friends, follow us on all the socials, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.